Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm always exhausted when I come to this assembly. Most of the assemblies that I go to in Canada and also here in the USA are relatively small with very few young people and very few children. But my, when I come to, when I come to this place, boy, I tell you, it's quite different. And it's very exciting, very lively, and uh, we do value the opportunity of coming. As a snowbird, I <clears throat> arrived about two and a half weeks ago in Florida, <clears throat> and uh, it's just delightful to be in the sunshine, and it's delightful to be in the presence of God with God's people and to share his word with you. There are 25 to 12, and I usually, when I mean, the meeting usually goes on to 12, but I've been given permission to 12, 15. If you're in favor of that, raise your hand. Oh, some not in favor. <laughs> I do, I do. So I'm now thoroughly confused. Anyway, the Lord will lead, the Lord will direct. <clears throat> a verse was uh, quoted by one of the children. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want to talk about that kingdom in a moment. You remember, for example, when the Lord was brought before Pilate, he said to the people, Behold your king. King. Jesus is a king. In fact, the Bible says he's king of kings and lord of lords. Beautiful titles. And what shall I do then with your king? Shall I crucify your king? And of course... The cry went up, crucify him, crucify him. They would rather have him than Caesar. The Jews, imagine. But that's the story that the Bible gives us. I've been very fascinated by, in recent weeks, with the whole question of numerology in the Bible. That's the study of numbers. Now, I'm not really into this. I never was. But there are some preachers, and, and they really are deeply involved in the study of numbers in the Bible. In fact, it came to my mind that yesterday I should punch into Google. Now, I'm not a computer expert, but I punched in biblical numerology, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the amount of writings on this subject. And it's not that I'm getting, going to get into the subject. I'm just going to choose one number. But to give you an idea, like for example, one, the number one would obviously signify unity. You know, when we say that the believers are all one in Boulevard, that would mean to me that the, the, the Christians here are all united. They're one. Now, when you come to the number two, of course, well, that's division. That's obviously division. Like for example, we have light and we have darkness. The world is divided into those particular two groups. Light, we're presently in light, and this evening we will go into darkness for a period of time. It is also, of course, the symbol of uh, separation. The darkness was 
over all the earth. And God said, let there be light. And so the light was separated from the darkness. The number three, of course, is the number of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you remember over the cross of Christ, there were three languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Interesting. And then, of course, there were the three temptations. Four, of course, is the creation day. The number of creation. The Lord created the planet on the fourth day. And there are four directions, north, south, east, and west. And there are four kinds of soil that were mentioned in that particular parable of the land. And so we could go on and on down the numbers. But that's not my object this morning. I'm interested in the question of division, the question of the number two. Our physical world, the world we live in, has many, many kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. There's the kingdom of the United Kingdom. I was born in the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom comprises England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. That's the United Kingdom. And I was born in the north of Ireland in 1933. I'll just pause while you calculate my age. (laughs) For those who are not very good at calculation, 79, coming up to 80 in March, God willing. How do you like that? I think I've done that before. But that's it. Remarkable. The physical world in which we live has many, many kingdoms. But when it's all boiled down, when it's all really considered in the word of God, there are only two kingdoms. In the final analysis of all the hundreds of nations in the world, and they all pride themselves in their own nation, and that's fair enough. I mean, if they want to do that, that's fine. But as far as I'm concerned, my Bible, which I believe to be the Word of God, teaches me that there are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, energized by Satan. And there's the kingdom of heaven, energized by the God of heaven. There are only two kingdoms. And you live in either one of them. And so do I. So let's forget about the United States of America and Canada up north with all its resources that America would like and Mexico to the south and so on and so on. Let's forget about all of this. There's only two kingdoms and you're a citizen of one of them. We'll get to the citizenship part later on. The kingdom of this world is the world without God. The question is, do you you live your life apart from the one true God? That's it. I want you to examine your hearts. Now, I know that most of you are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that question applies to you. Are you living your life in the kingdom of God, or are you living your so-called Christian life in the kingdom of the world? Does the world occupy your mind more than God? Examine yourself. This is very, very serious. The world, the kingdom of this world, energized by Satan, is very, very powerful. It is a world that is self-centered. Would you consider your life to be self-centered? 
It's founded completely on the wrong principles. I mean, the world of here doesn't want the true God. They will have all kinds of deities set up, but they do not want the true God. Even in our own nation of Canada and also in the United States of America, as I read and listen to people, the whole idea is to get God out of the system altogether. And I'm alarmed at this. I'm not worried. I mean, I believe in the true God. And the true God knows exactly what's going on. So this world in which we live, the kingdom of the world, energized by Satan, is founded on the wrong principles altogether. They reject the principles of the word of God. Not everybody, but certainly the vast majority of the world's three and a half billion people reject the principles of the word of God. And it promotes the opposite, of course, false values. Man is dominant in the world, they claim. We have discovered, say the scientists, that man evolved from the primeval muck. And he has risen to great heights. And so we can do away with what the Bible says. Such rubbish. And this is taught, by the way, in our schools. All over the place. But such rubbish. Now this whole society, you see, is inspired by Satan. That's what's wrong with the kingdom of the world. All it offers, all it offers, it cannot satisfy. Cannot satisfy the human heart. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament is all about. It's a rather remarkable book. It is dedicated to exposing the world of life under the sun. That's what the Ecclesiastes tells us. It describes the world under the sun. The world apart from God. Read it. You have a lot to learn in this book. But it's very attractive to people. The world is very, very attractive. It's dazzled. The world is dazzled by the world's system, the world's principles, the world's values. It's dazzled by what Satan offers. Satan offers immorality. We are plagued with immorality in our countries today. Plagued with it. Shocking. It's dazzled by its music. The world's music, by and large, is energized by Satan. You may disagree with me on that. Humor. Humor used to be clean and funny. But by and large, humor that you now see on your television and hear in your radio and read in your papers is now no longer clean. We're dazzled by the world's wealth. You live in the richest country in the world. And I hear the politicians saying, America is the greatest country in the world. And I'm not going to doubt that. I'm not going to doubt that. But how do you measure greatness? Do you measure greatness by the population living in the world who live according to the principles of God's word or the principles of what the devil teaches? That's it. You see how simple the Bible is? That's the choice you have to make. And may God enable you to do that. This world is, is so dazzled by its wealth, so dazzled by materialism. We're all afflicted, including myself. We have to examine our hearts. We have to go into the presence of God. And it was so great to be here this morning to break bread and to drink wine in memory of the one who was absolutely poor. 
who came into this world from the glories of heaven. And he took upon himself a human being. How do you like that? A body. I mean, this blows my mind away. He had no body in heaven. He was a spirit, God the Son. But he came to this planet. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was made flesh, a human body. And he died in that human body. And he rose in that human body. And there's a man in heaven. As a man in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ. And those of us who are saved. Those of us who belong to him. Through faith in what he has done. We're going to see him very soon. And we're going to be with him and reigning with him through all eternity. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Oh dear. Hallelujah, what a savior. Oh dear, that is so weak. I think, I mean, how, are we all asleep? Hallelujah, what a savior. Oh, listen, that's it. A little bit of Pentecostalism here. Yeah. Now the brethren, the elders will speak to me after the meeting. Oh man, what a savior we have. What a savior who can save a poor lost sinner. Lift him from the miry clay and set him that's our Savior. That's my Lord. That's my Lord. But you see, when you really sit down and start thinking, just get away into a quiet place. And, and what I have said, you mull that over in your mind, and you will come to the conclusion that it's all glitz and glitter. That's what the world loves. All glitz and glitter. But there's no substance to it. Worldliness, you see, is the love of things that are passing. Passing. It pulls the believer, it pulls you and I, and it pulls the unbeliever away from God. That's what the world system does. That's what the kingdom of the world does. It's energized by Satan, and it wants you and it wants me to have nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with the gospel, Nothing to do with what the Bible teaches. It's life without God. It's life without God. That's it. Like, I cannot conceive of life without God. I, I cannot honestly do. Like, you know, I told you before many times, but I love to tell people that I was saved when I was 12. Coming up to my 12th birthday. And I'm now almost 80. And I mean, it's been a wonderful life. It hasn't been perfect. But I cannot, I cannot honestly conceive of me going back to my 12th birthday and living all of those 68 years without Christ. I cannot, I cannot conceive of that. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my way, my end. That's what the hymn writer says, and I agree. The motto of the world is, the, is success. You, you make yourself successful. Success. Forget about holiness. The, wor the world tells you holiness is just out of the question. You go in for what the world offers. And the world offers you what Satan offers you. It's energized by the world. It knows nothing about the high calling of God. Nothing. So what do you think? The kingdom of heaven is quite the opposite. 
We have looked at the kingdom of the world, but now this is the kingdom that matters. This is, and I want those of you in the meeting who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and those of you who do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're cold-hearted because you're steeped in the world system. You have drifted away from the kingdom of God, and you have drifted further away into the kingdom of this world, and you're beginning to love the world more than you love God. I'm not doubting your salvation, by the way. I'm just asking you to examine your heart this morning in the presence of God. It's the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the king. The kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> now here the spiritual is emphasized, not the material. And this is very, very difficult for us human beings who live in a materialistic society. A highly wealthy materialistic society. Very, very difficult for us to close our minds to that. For we have to live. We have to live, make a living, support our family, pay our taxes. All of that is quite vital, quite normal. But this is the kingdom that matters. The kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you think about him during the week? How often do you think about him? There was a man I met, you know, when I was a boy growing up in Belfast, Northern Ireland. You know, we were surrounded by little, little churches. There was the Gospel Hall, the Salvation Army, the Holiness Movement, the Anglicans over here, and over here the Pentecostals. Now, Pastor Christie, Pastor Christie. Like, I never went to his church. I, I, I had no occasion to go there. But, uh, like, every time I met this, I knew him. Every time I met this man, uh, you know, during the week, he would be walking up the Crumlin Road or the Old Park Road, walking to his church or away from the church. He was the pastor. But there he was. And every time I saw the man, he was talking. He was walking along the road and he was talking. He was talking to God. People thought he was crazy. But he was the pastor of this Pentecostal church. And I know a dear family that went to that pastor, that, that, that particular church. And they, they loved Pastor Christie. Because this man's mind was filled with Christ. Filled with it. Absolutely amazing. So the spiritual, you see, is emphasized, not the materialism. The eternal is valued over what is temporary. We're only here for a little time. I used to be 12, now I'm almost 80, and I'll soon be gone. And so will you. You young people, you think you think of your whole life in front of you. you. Maybe not. Look at that tragedy yesterday of those children and those teachers. I mean, it was awful. It was awful. They were struck down. The madness of men. The madness of people to do such a thing. So that's why you have to get saved. That's why you have to value eternal things, not earthly things. I'm not saying you shouldn't have pleasure. I mean, like I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm a happy person. You may not think so, but I'm a happy person. One of them used to nickname me Happy Harry. <laughs> Holy Harry. Hopeless Harry. 
And when I was a vice principal of a high school, I told you this before, I'm sure, I used to suspend so many students from school, you know, for being bad. So the kids in the school nicknamed me Holiday Harry. <laughs> but that's what it's all about. William Cowper was a famous poet. You probably have been taught his poems in school. I thirst, he said, but not as once I did. The vain delights of earth to share. Thy wounds, Emmanuel, all forbid that I should seek my pleasure there in the earth. It was the sight of thy dear cross that weaned my heart from earthly things and taught me to esteem as dross the mirth of fools and the pomp of kings. Beautifully written. That was his experience. He knew the Lord. And he knew, he knew what it was to live under the rule of the king, our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven. Now, in God's kingdom, it's not material prosperity which is top dog. It's the spiritual prosperity is what counts. Spiritual mature. My fellow believer, my dear brother and sister, how are you developing in your spiritual life? Now, I want you to face the question. I want you to examine your heart. And I want you to know that the King of Kings is present with us in this very auditorium. See, I, I believe the King of Kings is everywhere. He's omnipresent. Our Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. He is here in the power of His Spirit. And I want you to examine your heart. How's it going? How's it going? Are you developing spiritually? Are you, are you on the pursuit of material prosperity? Does it occupy all your time? And you rush out here on a Sunday just to be, just to get a little bit of spirituality. What's it like during the week? Hmm? It's called the kingdom of righteousness. How do you like that? Is that the kind of life you're living? A righteous life? It's called the kingdom of peace. Are you at peace? Are you at peace? It's the kingdom of joy. Joy, if you want joy, real joy, we sing. Let Jesus come into your heart. Are you experiencing joy in your life? Am I? Would you say that Christ is central in your life? Or is he out there in the periphery? Lord, I remember you just when it's convenient for me. Uh, just you stay out there. I'm so occupied in the world. I've been you just stay out there in the periphery. Or is he central to your life? You see, the Christian is supposed to be living a life under the rule of Christ. <clears throat> There's a hymn. It's a beautiful hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. You know that hymn? Jesus is all the world to me. My life. My joy. My all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other friend can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus is all the world to me, my friend in trials sore. I go to him for blessings, and he gives them o'er and o'er. 
He sends the sunshine and the rain. He sends the harvest golden grain. Sunshine and rain. Harvest of grain. He's my friend. He's my friend. I love these words from the old hymns. Jesus is all the world to me. And true to him I'll be. And we sing these hymns. We sing these things. It's easy to sing. And it's good to sing. But what about living them? He's all the world to me and true to him I'll be. Oh, how could I this friend deny when he's so true to me? Following him, I know I'm right. He watches o'er me day and night. Following him by day and night, he's my friend. In the last verse, Jesus is all the world to me and I want no better friend. I trust him now, I'll trust him when life's fleeting days shall end. Beautiful life. Beautiful life with such a friend. Beautiful life that has no end. Eternal life. Eternal joy. He's my friend. Just think of those words. How's it going? How's it going? What kingdom do you live in? What kingdom are you living in? There's Christmas and you celebrate Christmas and rightly so in the birth of Christ. An absolute wonder. And this morning earlier, did we ever enjoy the fellowship as we took the emblems, the bread and the wine and remembered the Lord Jesus Christ, brother after brother getting up and leading us to the throne of grace and everybody together singing his praises and worshipping the one who loved us, our King, who died for us. I mean, what could be more wonderful? What could be more beautiful than serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Living in his kingdom, doing what he wants us to do, living by his principles and not the principles of the world. So if there are two, if there are two kingdoms, there are two rulers, that makes sense. There are two monarchs to these two kingdoms. There's Satan and there's Christ. Satan is the world's monarch. He's the world's king. No question about that. He's called in the Bible the ruler of the world, and I'll not quote the verses because time's marching on. He's called the God of this age. How do you like that? He's called the God of this age. So watch out. He's called the prince of the power of the air. The air. The spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. That's what the Bible tells us about Satan and his kingdom. John says that the whole world is under the sway of the devil. The whole world. People are held captive by him at their will. He's very powerful. Very powerful. Don't you think you can uh, get victory over the devil unless you have the power of Christ within you? You can't. And maybe you're living your life under the power of Satan and you don't realize it. Maybe what I'm saying, you don't believe me anyway. Maybe you don't believe the Bible. That's your choice. That's your choice. It's all got to do with you deciding what you want to do. He's powerful, but he's not all-powerful. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the king, the kingdom that he rules over, he is all powerful. All powerful. Nothing can hinder him. By the way, the devil is still under Christ's dominion. Remember that. If God in the person of his son is all powerful, then Satan is under the rule of Christ as well. He, He can go so far, but no further. The other problem is, of course, that we have two other forces working against us. Not only the devil, but we have the world. The world we live in, this tiny little speck, this tiny little piece of dust revolving on its axis round and round it goes round and round the sun and you and I are traveling at this latitude I'm only guessing but we're probably traveling in this great universe we're probably traveling at about maybe oh maybe 800 miles an hour if you were at the equator you'd be traveling at a thousand miles an hour and here we are in this tiny little planet here we are the world It's a material world. And God made the world. God created. It is his world. And he wants us to live under his authority, not under the authority of Satan and his power that he reveals. And then there's the flesh. There's this old flesh of ours, this old body. When I look at these children who are up here, I love children. I just love children. I've been in school most of my life with children and young people. And I love them. I do love them dearly. But I look at them growing up. The flesh. All have sinned. All have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. That's everybody. Everybody is included. There are no exclusions whatsoever. We have all sinned. In God's mercy... Most of us here, if not all of us, have been saved by his sovereign grace. And that's why we gather on Sunday morning to thank him. And to pour out our hearts in love. Because he took our place at Calvary. He bore our sins upon his body on the tree. He paid the penalty for our sins in order that we might not be judged by a holy God. And sent to a lost eternity. What a savior. What a savior. We haven't time to go into the, uh, the methods that the devil used, but he, method, he, he, of course, he's a deceitful man. He slanders. He imitates. He's a great imitator, for example. He has a counterfeit for everything that is of God. He empowered the Egyptian magicians. You remember in, in the story, the Egyptian magicians were able to imitate the miracles of Moses. He's powerful. You remember when the wheat and the tares were growing? They looked alike. But the wheat was real and the tares were not real. That was the devil's doing. Man, he's powerful. He imitates the Trinity. He's the devil. He's the beast. He's the false prophet. He has his own church. It's called the synagogue of Satan. He has his own ministers. They're called ministers of Satan. Ministers of Satan. He has his own gospel. The Bible says he has another gospel. This is the good news, he says. But he's only fooling you. He's only fooling you. But he's imitating the gospel. He imitates 
theology. He talks about the doctrines of devils. He has his own doctrine. Oh yes. He has his own sacrifices. The Gentiles were always sacrificing to demons. And most of the world's population still doing the same thing. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he has his own table and his own cup. How do you like that? Then he's involved in discouragement. He excels. He excels in persecution. He hinders commitment. You want to commit your life? He will hinder you. You want to do things for God? You want to change? He will hinder you. Prepare for that. But God wants you. God wants you on his side. He wants you to reach out and strike out against him. Pride, his kingdom, is pride, perennial. Pride goes before destruction. He was a proud person, still is. And he has used this device on many of us on many occasions. False doctrine, procrastination, he hinders the gospel. He does all of these things. And in your body, he afflicts your body, bodily affliction. Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh. Whose fault was that? It was the devil. Paul was the great teacher of the gospel. He was spreading the gospel all over the Middle East and all across the Mediterranean lands. He was doing a fantastic work for God. But Satan attacked him and gave him a thorn in the flesh. Whatever it was, we don't know. And he asked God to remove it. God says no. Paul had to deal with this. I was the same with you. This is the devil I'm talking about. The Bible talks about him. And that thorn in the flesh was given to Paul to buffet him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. To buffet him. And the devil will send things into your life. He will cause circumstances to buffet you. To upset you. To really draw you away from the saints. From the saints. And this is what's happening today in our assemblies. I mean, I can't believe it. People will come to the morning meeting and they'll all, yes, it's wonderful to be here, but you never see them on Sunday night. I'll be taking a roll call, by the way, tonight. I'll be taking a roll call. You never see them during the week to meet for prayer. You never see see them engaged in the various activities of the assembly. Reaching out for God in an ungodly world. Ah, yes, he will afflict you. He sifts people by different circumstances, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Sickness, for example. He will send sickness. He will cause you to suffer. He will send tragedy into your life. He's capable of doing this. But Christians have to overcome this. And we overcome that, of course, for the glory of God and for the blessing of others. So he's the world's monarch. And Christ is the believer's monarch. He's the world's king. There's the kingdom of the world, and Satan is its king. king. There's the kingdom of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ is its king. Our monarch is the Lord. King of my life, we say. I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. You know, brethren, and I, and I have to examine my own heart. These are lovely hymns we sing, but oh my, the theology in them is, is powerful. And it's easy to sing. And it's easy to get a nice, cozy, warm feeling. But when you leave, how are you living your life? How are you living your life at home? How are you living your life at work? How are you living your life in the community? 
Do they know that you're a child of God? Do they know? Do they know that Christ is your king? He's the creator and the upholder of all things. All things were created by him. And without him was not anything created that was created, says John in his gospel. He's the creator. Our savior is the creator of the world and he created you. He has all power. Omni. Potent God, omnipotent God. He is present everywhere, omnipresence. He's present with us here. I was very much aware of the presence of my Savior this morning as we broke bread and remembered him. I was very conscious of his presence. Really? Even now, on the way home, up that horrible highway, Facing all that traffic tonight, I know the Lord will be with me. And when I lay down in my bed and the devil starts to afflict me about my preaching, you know, I just reach out to God for his presence, a sense of his presence. Get up in the morning, thank God for a night's rest and presence of the Lord Jesus Christ with. I mean, I'm not trying to dramatize this, but I believe in the reality of this. I do. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. And he's present at all times. He's omnipresent. He's a perfect God and a perfect man in one. That's a great mystery, I have to admit. A great mystery. He's the perfect Savior. He wants to save you this morning if you're not already saved. He's infinite, he's unique, he's incomparable. At present he reigns from heaven, but he's coming soon to take his people home. Very soon. King of kings and Lord of lords to reign forever in a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. That's our Savior. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our lovely on the mountains, says the hymn writer, are the feet of him who bring good news. Announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. He had no stately form. He had no majesty that we should be drawn to him. He was despised and we took no account of him. But now he reigns. Our God reigns. Out from the tomb he came with grace and majesty. He is alive. God loves us so. See here his hands, his feet, his side. Yes, we know he's alive. Our God reigns. What a lovely hymn that is. Now tell me, who rules your life? Who rules your life? That's the question. That's the question. Who rules your life? What kingdom do you live in? And who's your king? And that will suffice for this morning. I would ask you to examine your hearts as we close this meeting in prayer. And I will examine mine. Because as I point one finger at you, I've got four pointing at myself. How good it is to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're not saved, you don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. 
If you're not a believer in Christ, why don't you turn? Why don't you repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do it even now as we bow in prayer and ask the Lord's blessing? Father, we come before you now this this morning and we do thank you for your goodness to us. This, This whole story of your love God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you, Father, for saving us, for sending your son to pay that awful price so that the wrath of God would not be taken out upon ourselves, but rather he bore the wrath instead. This is a marvelous story. It is marvelous in our eyes. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he is our king. We confess our sins, Father, before you. And we look forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to take us home, to be with himself, and to reign throughout all eternity. And to be with him as he reigns. This is a wonderful Savior, a wonderful story. And we just bow humbly in your presence. As those who are sinners saved by matchless grace, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for your wonderful blessings that are lavished upon us. We give you thanks in his precious name. Amen.